Hey, Jeffrey. Hey, Austin. So whenever we were doing our series about buyouts, and we ended up talking about backup goalies, you always end up talking about a specific player. Do you know who I'm talking about? Well, I mean, I kind of... He was kind of not not an idol, but like you know, in twenty ten, when Montreal went on that uh, that heater in the playoffs where they beat like Crosby and Ovechkin, there was that one name, Yaroslav Halak. Yeah, and that's been ten years. That's been ten years. If you think about it, ten years ago, Halak was on the Canadians. I know, like taking them to the playoffs, and Carey Price was on the bench. So weird. So. Do you know what happened to him? Well, now he's uh, in Boston, and it uh, seems like he's going to be staying in Boston for at least another year. There you go. Signed a nice one-year, $2.25 million contract. Yeah, it, it's it's not a bad contract. I mean, I just expect with backup goalies, the market's going to be a lot lower. Like, they wouldn't be paid as much. Yeah, so I guess my point to you is, what are you going to do now without your precious... Yaroslav Halak. What are you gonna do with all your con? All that you were talking about before? Well, I mean, there's there's other guys like like Anton Kudobin, like a Thomas Grice, Cam Talbot. Like, there's still like some old, not like some some bad starters who are now backup goalies, right? There's there's a couple of those that will be in free agency. So you know, the market hasn't completely dried out. Yeah, that's pretty close. Well, I mean, like, it also is like how many goalies do does a team need, right? They only need, realistically, two NHL-caliber goalies, right? So do they really need to be, like, have to get the best backup goalie all the time? So I guess what brings to the next thing is, like, the best backup goalie to me right now that's a free agent isn't Yaroslav Halag. It's, like, Anton Kudobin. Well, I was going to argue uh, Braden Holtby, but, uh, okay. Oof, oof. I don't know, that seems a little... Yeah, it's a little too soon. But, see, with Kudobin, like, I guess it applies both in Boston as well, but, like, are there goalies that benefit from a system over just being good? Because they're both 34. I mean, it's hard to say, like, they've all of a sudden become super backup goalies that can become starters now at the age of 34. Not that 34 is old, you know. I don't tell my parents that 34 is old. Yeah, she better not. No, 34 is very, very young. Forever young. Yes. <laughs> so I, I guess my, my next question for you would be like, you think, so we were talking previously, and you mentioned that you thought that $3.5 million for a year of Yaroslav Halak is a team discount. Well, three point five is with all the bonuses and overages, right? Like cap wise, it's only two point two five. So, like, it's it's a fairly. But good like deal. the bonuses are like very. The bonuses are very easy to to achieve. Plays ten games and and he gets a bunch, and the rest of it is if he wins ten games with that team with Tuka Rask up front, and how they do like to preserve him for the playoffs. That's that's a given, right? Like he probably play thirty games yeah. next season. I think it's more of just like. Uh, because it is a th- like he is going to be turning thirty five next year. It's kind of just like not a defense. It's not a defense mechanism per se, but I don't know. Like it's a protective clause, right? Like in case he gets injured, right? Then he doesn't have to, you know. It and it's also like a 
like a bonus for Halak. Like they they think he's worth more, but at least like to the salary cap, he's going to cost less. And like the overages, they can keep pushing for further and further away until if they need the cap space. So I get my I guess my next question would be like, if three and a half million is an underpay, how much is Kudobin making next year? Um, three million maybe. What like, I, I think I don't think we can say that Halak is making three and a half. I think. Because Boston's a richer team, that's why they can, you know, add all those bonuses in for a thirty-five plus contract. But I think Kadobin, if he's not signing with like a, you know, a, a rich team, then he's not going to make more than three. I think, and like Halak has that starter caliber gold goalie like credential, right? So I think that's why he would. I think Halak would make more than Kadobin on the open market. You don't you don't think Kudobin can get a four year twelve million dollar contract? He's thirty four. Are you gonna sign it to four years? No, three years. Three years at four million dollars per year. Sorry. Well, I think he's like Max gonna get a one year contract, two if he's really pushing it, because like next year he's gonna turn thirty five and with those thirty five plus contracts, right? If he suddenly regresses or declines rapidly, right? And that's going to force um, the team to, if he retires or something, right? That's going to count fully against the cap no matter what. And you know you know that, especially with Kovacuk in L.A., right? Like, that's not helpful to your cap structure. The thing was, like, yeah, there are, how do I put this? Kovacuk is a special scenario, I think. And it all, you know, it all starts with a 15-year deal. So I think he's on a different trajectory. And one of the things with goalies is that you see so many goalies playing into their mid to late 30s, right? Like, like Rene, Lundqvist, you know, Luongo did it. Like, it's not a rare occurrence. Like, Ryan Miller now, there's another example. Like, I think it's different when goalies where they're able to and are willing to play at an older age. Um, I guess, but you kind of also look at it and say like for a guy who was never really a star, is there real, really like a reason why that you now believe he's now in his prime that you're going to get the best two years out of him? Right. Like, well, I mean, there's a team out there that's willing to do it. Right. I think the most important player in on the ice is usually your goalie. You can argue for specific players, specific teams, it's maybe a bit different, but I think where most goalie is the one, right? It's your last line of defense. You don't, you don't think your team is desperate enough to do that. See, like, if you look currently at every single 35-plus contract for goalies right now, the max length we have is two years. And that, that's for Pecorine, Craig Anderson, and for some reason, Curtis McElhaney, right? Okay, but and... the goalie's 33, Right, he would be. He would have. He's thirty four. He's thirty three. Is he not thirty four? He's turning thirty four in a couple of days. <laughs> oh, but okay, like, but like yeah, yeah. So you like going to be. It's going to be like a two year, on your thirty five plus. Curtis McElhinney can do it. Why can't Hanku Dobin? A, and Hanku Dobin's played like amazingly this year. But he's not going to make, like, you know, $4 million, like you're saying, though. That's the thing. He's not going to make that much money. You don't think I, you don't think he's desperate enough to do that? 
I don't think there's a team that needs a one B caliber or backup goalie that they're willing to shell out that much. Like I'm assuming that if they sign him for four million, they don't want him to be a backup, right? But I don't think there's a team that's going to be out there that wants to shell out that much money, unless we think about it. Maybe they sign him for two years so that they can expose him at the expansion draft. But that seems like a lot of money just so that you can expose a guy for the expansion draft that he's just meets a requirement and he might not even be picked at the expansion draft. Okay, so I got a question for you. I'm kind of curious. Does every team have to have a goalie exposed in the expansion draft? Um, they do, but it's like different from like uh, like for like for forwards and defense. Like it doesn't have to be a guy who's actually still on a contract. Like I think like if you, you're allowed to you're exposed one goalie that's like got a contract going into the next season, or like they have RFA expiring status and like the, yeah, you, like the team still has the rights. Mm-hmm. So then they can like choose to do one or the other. So like if we look at Boston, right? Rask and Halak are both retiring at the end of next season. Mm-hmm. So both of them don't meet the requirements. So Boston's going to need to figure a way to maybe to give Rask an extension, which I could see that's pretty probable, I think. At least give him a one-year extension so that you can expose him and then Boston does a deal with Seattle. Or you sign the classic John francois Berube and uh, just have him as your guy that you expose and just have him like that. Wait, so you, so what I'm hearing is I can't just like sign some random guy on my PTO on a PTO and be like, "Hey man, come for the draft, and then we'll give you a jersey and like twenty bucks or whatever. Get your pizza and a signed jersey from one of our players, and we'll release you the next day, and therefore we can meet the requirements." <laughs> yeah, that's uh, probably not going to happen. I don't think that's allowed. <sighs> Terrible, so not worth it. So close. Not worth it. So close. Um, okay, so speaking of money, let's talk about the Charlotte Checkers. Before we do that, let's start the show proper, shall we? You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. And we're back. Do you see what happened with the Charlotte Shackers? I, like, I just like how you add in some extra flair for our intros now. Also, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so, do you see what happened with the Charlotte Shackers? No, I actually haven't. Oh, buddy. So, remember when everyone was like, oh, Carolina Hurricanes getting a new owner? It's going to be so great. You know, seems like he's willing to splash a whole bunch of money everywhere. Mm-hmm. Turns out, I don't think he's willing to splash it on the development aspect. So, one of the things that teams have always com- always been envious of the Toronto Maple Leafs for was, like, that their AHL team was literally down the street, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you're in Toronto, you're a Leafs fan. You know that to go from Rico Coliseum or Coca-Cola Coliseum, sorry, to Scotiabank Arena, if there's no traffic, if there's no traffic, in a car is about, like, what, 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, I think you just take the the, the light rail instead, right? Sure, yeah, but, like, it's very, very close, and, like, that is always going to be a significant advantage, right, where you're not losing sleep on a late-night flight to go from a different city or whatever, 
um, to be able to share, you know, gyms and resources there. You know, like there's a lot of benefits there. You know, if you need a mercy call, you know, one's going to be there, right? As long as they're both playing at home. Yeah. And I think there was definite benefit in doing that, but I don't think every team has acknowledged that. <laughs> so Carolina currently plays in Raleigh, right? Mm-hmm. And their AHL team was the Charlotte Checkers. And Raleigh to Charlotte is about a two and a half hour drive. Two hours and 31 minutes, according to Google Maps. And I guess you don't get as much of a benefit as you got with the Marlies and the Leafs, but it's definitely a bigger benefit than when it was like, I don't know, San Antonio and their parent club, the Colorado Avalanche. Right, so there's always a bit of a, a stretch there, right? So it is expensive to have you two teams in the same city, right? Like when you're in the same, very close to each other, you kind of cannibalize the sales, right? For example, the Marlies definitely don't make as much money than if they were in, I don't know, Regina or something, right? Like I feel like if they're in Regina, they could definitely make a bit more money in, t- in terms of ticket sales. Yeah. But, you know, the Leafs understood, hey, this is like a development thing and you're saving a lot more money when you can call up a guy on a guy on ELC for 925 versus, I don't know, a $4 million player, right? Like you, you're able to save that bunch of money and it's more than you lost out on season ticket, like season tickets or just tickets in general, right? Your box office. So I think teams were like understood that, but it seems like the Charlotte Checkers are no longer going to be affiliated with the Carolina Hurricane, with the Carolina Hurricane being affiliated with Chicago Wolves, which are notoriously bad at developing players. So if I remember correctly, Chicago Wolves are not owned or will not be owned by the Carolina Hurricanes. But as a result, since they're not owned by their parent club, they're usually just like, we'll play our best players. We're gonna win cup. We're gonna win, you know, AHL cups. And unlike the Toronto Marlies, which are owned by Leafs, and they were like, you know what? It's a pipeline, and it's effective when people graduate. But like, at the same time, you know, there's no real point for a team that's not owned. But and their interest is not in developing their players, right? Other teams' players, and to win their championships, so they're playing their experienced, better guys in their first line, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where they're going. They're saying, ah, screw it. We don't really give a shit if our players don't develop, I guess. And instead are saying, well, screw it. We can save a few bucks here and there. Can we also talk about how notorious the Chicago Wolves are for not ever being with the Blackhawks? Well, I mean, like, for the Blackhawks, I don't think it really makes much of a difference. Rockford's still within the state, right? Yeah, but I just, I I find that does it not make more sense for like minor league affiliates to be in the same city? Just like as a brand, well, right? As a brand, it makes more sense. I, I mean, that, that is one thing, right? But like, again, like Rockford to Chicago is an hour and a half by car, but um, I could see it being, how do I put this? If Chicago Wolves didn't want to sell to Blackhawks, Blackhawks are not going to overpay to do it, right? They're, they're just going to be like, Screw it. You know what I mean? They can afford to overpay. Chicago can overpay a couple of things. 
but why would they want to do it though? Yeah, no, I right. Mean, it's I, like I, it's our minor league team. It's really not contributing that much to our bottom line. Let's be honest here. That's true, but like with player development, right? Like how you're saying with Charlotte right now, I I, I do agree with you. I do find that it is a little bit weird that they're not staying in like like within close proximity, right? Because like you said before, like with player development, right? Like these minor league guys, they can technically spend a day with the big big team. With, well, not with the big team, but like the player development with the with the actual NHL team, right? Because they're so close, they can actually spend a day with those staff, right? And mm-hmm. not just be like restricted to just minor league player development, but they can get some like actual NHL level player development as well, since they're so close to one another, right? So. Like logistically and also for player development, it just makes sense. So it is a curious move by the Charlotte, like Char- uh, Carolina and with Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, like, I it, it's just a shame when teams are just like, screw it, we're not gonna care as much about development because you know that. I, I don't know. I like to see you get some kind of sort of pride as a fan, you know, in terms of fan perspective. You get some sort of pride if you kind of see a guy develop and become the player he is, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not given that opportunity to do that. And I think that sucks for a fan because you don't get to watch unless you're you know, a diehard fan. You really don't get to watch AHL games on TV. It's just not a thing, right? So it's just a shame you don't see that in terms of the fan perspective. In terms of the hockey perspective... Uh, it's a little disappointing as well because, you know, you just like the development side. It's you just lose out on some development on ability on there, right? Even a little, even on the off hockey side, that professionalism you get kind of as a younger player by having someone taking on their wing. And what better example is there by having your NHL team there as well, where you can then coordinate events or whatever, and you can really be able to understand that professionalism and that's that's a shame i don't know you'll save a few bucks for that i think there's other things you can save a few bucks on yeah i think it's it's a big i think it's a brand thing right like it's so much nicer like if you like when speaking about like how you like you don't always get to watch the ahl teams right like you can actually like see a guy go through the minors come up onto the big team right you can actually see the development all happen kind of within the same geographical region but by moving, like, by having your minor league team further away, you don't get to see the development, right? Like, when you're sending, like, a rookie that hasn't started off well, you're sending them to minors to, you know, maybe shape up his game a little bit more. I think for fans, they would want to see that rookie, you know, develop within the, like, same same area so they can, you know, be closer to see that development. But you're kind of, like, shipping them away to boarding school, kind of, right? Like, sending them to another city to play in the minor league there, like play for that minor league team there, given they're still part of the same organization, right? But it just still feels kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, speaking about Chicago, they came into the news a little bit too when they, uh, would you call it unexpectedly fired their president? Was that out of the blue? Yeah, I think everyone was just like, wait, what? been in for what 13 years yeah yeah like he came over from the cubs in 2007 and like to me like normally it goes right you fired a coach 
then you fire the GM, and then you move on to the president. So well, it's I different. Like they, I think the difference was that the president was like a, I think, a business operations. No. Yeah. So like Chicago never really had like a president of hockey ops per se. I I think like. Well, you can't really put a guy like that on top of Scotty Bowman, right? Well, Scotty Bowman's the senior advisor. Stan Bowman's the Sorry, Stan Bowman. Do you think it's because his dad's a senior advisor and that's why he didn't get fired? That's why. Well, no, I don't think. I don't think. Honestly, I think it's very hard to judge these things in the sense that it really could be on the business side. Because if you look at his background, it's in marketing, right? Especially marketing. I'm wondering, you know. If ticket sales just really have been going well the last couple of years, and then management finally say, you know what, like this is I'm done with this. You're talking about the Blackhawks team that has been considered the most like one of the best like constructed franchise ever since John McDonough has come back. Like they no, 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 no. I'm talking about I'm talking about on the business side, right? We're not looking at, at the hockey side anymore. I don't know. Like I'm saying, as a model franchise, right? They they've done so much towards the business side, right? Like, yeah, were they like almost about to set the record for longest like sellout streaks for arenas? Well, no, it's they, not just that though, right? It's just like well, they've like if you look, at, yeah, you look you look at his like achievements, right? Like he's energized the fan base ever since he's come here. Season ticket holders numbers have gone up like crazy. He's increased like the number of ambassadors as well for the team, like. I think he has done like his his main thing has been marketing, right? Like that's his forte, yeah, on the business side. So I don't I don't think it's necessarily. I think they want more of a hockey like perspective now. I think. But if you're just a hockey perspective, you can just split the two, right? If you look at the Leafs, they have a president of hockey ops. And I'm sure they have a president of business ops, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't think I don't think that's the reason, right? Because like you don't see Brendan Shanahan being like, "Is there any way we can divert these taxes to a later year to affect our current tax?" Well, you don't see Brendan Shanahan do that. You don't see. I don't know if I'm talking about the president of business office, Jeffrey. Maybe help me out here being like, "What if we drafted this South African hockey phenom in the sixth round this year?" Do you think we need to trade up for that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think they're. Just because he wanted a different perspective, I don't think unless he was completely unwilling to move from it. But I don't see why not. Like you know what I mean, Jeffrey? Yeah, like uh, I, I think I do agree. Like Chicago was all was one of those teams where they didn't really have like I mean, Stan Bowman was like the senior vice president, uh, like, and there was like a hockey ops guy. But I think you definitely they could have done something better with you know having more of a division. But I, I wonder if it's just because you know now that the team is kind of rebuilding on the fly, like maybe they thought it was time for some change in management, maybe. But it, it, it to me it just seems a little weird to you know fire that guy before you fire the GM, right? Normally, like there are, like you have the GM the coach and like the president they're all like kind of attached like if the coach is fired um and the next coach doesn't do doesn't help out much then you know the gm gets fired and the gm is normally hired by the president so if that gm is still not doing well then the president gets fired so it, it's just a weird that they fired the president first i guess i don't know this is hard for me like 
who do they fire? Do, do you think Bowman's next? If is it like, do you think there's like a warning shopping and like, you know what? Everyone around you's already been fired. There's only one person left, man. I I think Bowman's pretty much. I I think his namesake plays so much into this, but I do think he is gone like soon. Like if they hire the next president, I think there's a good chance Bowman's gone. Like I don't know. Has he really been a amazing GM per se? Like I think his tenure just kind of coincided with the prime of Taves. Seabrook, Kane, Keith, Crawford—like it just happened to kind of like time well, and he just happened to be the GM. I think, right? Like, did he really do that much to help them win the first Stanley Cup in his first year? Right? Like, yes, you know, you signed Marion Hossa, but Marion Hossa was you know going crazy and, and trying to you know try to win a cup when he was still young. Right? He did those two one-year deals with Pittsburgh and Detroit and lost both times until yeah. he came to Chicago. Then he had to, you know, disassemble the team because um, they had all these like young RFAs. And like, if you remember those trades after they win the Stanley Cup, they lost those trades really badly. Like they could, like I know they're they they're gonna lose those trades anyway, but they could have done better, a little bit better, right? Like considering like that first year, right, when they traded Bufflin, Ben Eager, Brent Sopel, Christopher Stieg, and Andrew Ladd. Like yeah. yes, like you don't always hit on picks and prospects, but in the end, like the only NHL guy they got was Victor Stahlberg. Out but, of all those trades. You don't think that being an are part of the architecture of the dynasty kinda gives you a get a jail free card, or do you think he's probably used it by now? It it does, but I th- he's definitely used it by now. I think he's he's the leader of the Boy band club? No, no. I, I like, like you know how Edmonton they keep all their old guys together, like old, old boys club. Yeah, but no, not a boy band club. I don't know, but like Stan Bowman, he if you look at all the deals he's ever signed, right? He loves keeping the band together, and that's what's happened in L.A. and San Jose, right? Because oh, we're a successful team, so let's reward our guys that played for our team, right? He's kind yeah. of the leader of all that, and. We've seen in LA they've changed management, even though they won two cups, and then they signed all those bad deals for all the guys who helped them win the cup, right? Chicago's in that area right now too, right? So I do see. I think Bowman's time is up, but I think he gets another year just to see what happens. But to me, like I feel like Bowman's been there forever, but he's only forty six, so like he. Like, he can still be a GM elsewhere, or, like, he can still be here for a couple more years, but I think in Chicago, I think his time is up. Okay. I think that's a, that's a valid ar- argument. Yeah, like, I mean, Chicago has been such a good franchise, and, like, they're, you know, missing the playoffs three seasons in a row. That's kind of... Like, after a team that's had so much success, I think that's where, you know, you start seeing, you know, management and teams thinking oh it's a time to rebuild do we need to change up the leadership both in the office and in the dressing room but yeah i don't know i still think it was just out of the blue that they fired their president just like that yeah Uh, (laughs) 
if I'm part of like a, the top end of their management, like I'm the president, do you kind of want to, you know, taking aside the whole family or like just, just for hockey's sake, are you kind of thankful that you get fired or you don't have to deal with the downfall of the empire? Um, if you still get paid, then it's okay, I guess. But yeah, I'm sure these guys yeah. are on contracts, right? Yeah, like I, I'm thinking like sometimes it's good to like not be part of like the the end of an era, kind of. But I, I feel like he like John McDonough is still kind of leaving on top, and I don't think like Chicago's gonna hit rock rock bottom, mm-hmm. right? Like. Even if they yeah they finish last, they're still a successful franchise, right? So it's not like if someone gets fired at when they finish last, it's not going to look like terrible, terrible per se. Like you might just say like, oh, they've done so much for this era, and this was just his time to go, right? Like I don't yeah. think that's bad for a guy, like for the GM, a coach, or the president. But uh, there's still some salt, I think, right? Like you'll be like, oh, like you were the cause of it. like it was, there'll be that public perception that you were the reason why they um like uh start like why the team started declining and once you fired once they get fired there's a good chance they start rebounding just because they're at the lowest of lows and then it, it leaves a bad perception on you yeah all right with that being said um i think now it's a great time to uh listen to a message from our sponsor over at anchor And we are back. So, um, one thing we not don't always mention is um, at UFF Sports right now they've got something pretty cool going on right now, right? Like we all are missing playoff hockey right now. This is the perfect time for NHL playoffs, but right now with the season over, there's no hockey. Not over. Play. Well, okay, indefinitely over. Is that, it's postponed. It's postponed, but, Jeffrey. Okay, fine. It's postponed. But over at UFS Sports, you know, they've got all their fantasies, um, those fantasy sports teams, and they're kind of running their own playoffs right now. So they're broadcasting. Wow, that's a hard word to say. They're broadcasting their games, like their simulation games over on YouTube. So if you're missing some lot, some live play of hockey, albeit this is on a video game, but, you know, you can still get that same intensity there too. I mean, yeah, it's great. I don't want to say this makes me speechless. Jeffrey's well, crushing I mean, the ad game today. It, it it's better than watching the reruns. I think on like NHL and sports. I like. I'm not a big fan of watching like games where you already know the score, right? Like that takes away from the game. Like you know they're gonna score then and now, and it's like you're just waiting for the goals. I find. Yeah, I mean, like what? It's like. A better version of fantasy hockey, isn't it? It is. And, like, you get to see, like, how other teams, like, other fantasy teams have been constructed. I mean, granted, I think, like, when you take, a, like, a fantasy hockey team and put them in a simulation, I don't think, they, they don't simulate the same way as how you want them in, like, a fantasy sports, like, when you're doing, like, rotisserie, head-to-heads. Like, there's definitely some difference there, but, like, it's still an interesting way to still, you know, promote, like hockey, like still have some form of hockey this like into this quarantine right now. Well, speaking of draft, we were talking before the show started and there's something that's 
very interesting, a very unique draft. Um, redrafts. That's the thing that the NHL has kind of started doing. And uh, this draft has uh, gotten some negative feedback. I would say, you know, which draft is it? The 2011 NHL redraft. I mean, I, I'm looking at it, and there, there was a great tweet. You know, like um, well, to preface that, to preface this, I have no clue what Jeffrey's talking about. This is the first thing I'm hearing about it. So okay, it's gonna be unique for me. So NHL.com release. As oh no, I know. okay, no, I know what a redraft is. I just haven't seen the 2011 redraft. Well, I was explaining it to our listeners. Okay, I know you're. All right, what's a redraft, Jeffrey? I don't know what a redraft is. So, NHL is kind of just, you know, looking back at some past drafts and, you know, now that we've known these players' careers, how we, would we redraft them now that we know what, you know, now that you've got the crystal ball and know what they're going to turn out to be, right? So, with the, the 2011 one, there was a great tweet. I can't remember who said it, but they're like, um, well, I was gonna, I'll, I'll just mention this. So, if we name the top six picks, you let me know if do they make sense. So, first would be Nikita Kucherov. Okay. Mark Shifley, Gabe Landeskog, Johnny Gaudreau, Jordan Bennington, and then okay, let's, start, let's start with the first five. Let's start with the first five. Well, I, I need the top six because they put Bennington above Gibson. And someone people are tweeting, this is the first time Gibson has any defense in front of him. <laughs> everyone thinks Gibson is better than like, that's I think that's the first problem. How is Bennington rated higher than Gibson? When Bennington played his first season last year, and Gibson has played for the last, I want to say, four or five years. And as you said before, he's on one of the greatest goalie contract deals. Yeah, so I'm going to start with going through. Jeffrey, tell me the name, and I'm going to tell you what, what position and what team draft them. Just sort of let you have a background about the players compared to the draft. So Kucherov. Kucherov was 58th overall. Yep. By the time they lightnings, and where would he have gone? He would have gone first. Instead of Ryan Eugene Hopkins. And second, yep. we have, I think you second was Gabriel Laniscog, their captain, who went to the Avalanche. But who does NHL think? Well, Mark Shifley, Mark Shifley, Mark Shifley is the one that they would say would have gone second. From the Winnipeg Jets. Ugh. We would have had someone else. Alright, this would be interesting. Third, we had the second ball pick, Gabe Laniscog going to Florida. With Jonathan Huberdeau originally drafted there. Fourth, who do you have? Johnny Gaudreau. Johnny Gaudreau, who was drafted, what, fourth round? 104th overall. All right. To the Flames, going to the New Jersey Devils instead of who? I have no idea. Adam Larson. (laughs) (laughs) That's who they should draft their first overall, by the way. I see, I see. <laughs> and then the fifth person... Oh, we'll do five and six, right? Fifth was... Jordan Bennington, right? Who was drafted in what round? Fifth round? Oh, third round to the Blues instead of going to the Islanders, right? Who drafted Ryan Strom instead. Yeah. And then the sixth that we said was Gibson, who would have been drafted to... The Ducks at 39. No, who would have drafted him? Oh, Sens. Instead of... Zabinajad? Because Zabinajad, yeah. But just because just I always, have, when I get the opportunity, I don't want to do this. Do you remember who traded the pick 
to the Anaheim Ducks to draft John Gibson? I know it's the Leafs. Shut up. <laughs> so I guess my next question for you, though, is um, one second. My next question to you is, do you remember what the trade was? What was the trade? You know, sorry, uh, let's put it this way. Do you remember was, who the pick that John Gibbs was traded for was used to yes. draft? Who, Jeffrey? Tyler Biggs. And how many games in the NHL did he play? Zero. Okay, that's it. I just wanted to get the opportunity out there. Uh, right. <laughs> anyway, so we look, we look at the top six, and I mean, it's besides that Bennington-Gibson debate, I think you can agree on that, that top six, maybe. Well, I think Kucherov. Yeah, I think that that's yeah, Kucherov was first, right? So I wrote this down. Okay, so Kucherov first. That's fine. There's no problem with that. Shifley at two. Um, yeah, no, I think that's that's okay. And then Lanniskog at three. I don't know I if he might be pushing it a little bit. Yeah, but not, not that much. I think. Yeah, I think he's probably like sixth or seventh in the draft. Maybe I think so too. But it's also like, like I think the in this redraft, right? You're also considering the teams that are drafting them now, right? Like I think Florida would prefer Atlantis Cog over Goudreau. Yeah. So I. But think at the same time. Huberto is an all-star as well. You can't don't discount him that like that. Right? Yeah, like Huberto was an all-star this year, though, right? Like he he's been steady, but he's never played that well. And Huberto ends up tenth on this redraft going to the Minnesota Wild, which okay. I think is another problem because there's a guy who went number eight that should not be going number eight, and that's Brandon Sod. What? So, well, okay, we'll go down the list. So, number seven would have been, instead of uh, Shifley, it would have been Sean Couturier. Okay. Which, I, I think Sean Couturier is one of those most underrated centers. Yeah, I have no I problem with that at all. And he's also on a steal of a contract, if you look at it. It's well, okay, great. I don't think you can look at contracts and stuff like that after that. But Okay, but he's got a great, he's a great player, too. <laughs> okay, you're going to say it again, sorry. I'm trying to find the pause button, the like mute button. I just couldn't make it in time. So let me just restart. Let me talk. Let me talk you in. No, no, no. That's okay. We can leave the sneeze in. We can leave the sneeze in. But wow. number eight, Brandon Sod at number eight over um, number nine, Mika Zibanejad, and number mm. ten, Jonathan Tiberto. Is it just because there's not a single defenseman on that list? Uh we're coming up on defensemen. I think. Yeah, at number 12, we'll get to a defenseman. But, like, how is Saad listed higher than Zimbabwe and Huberto? I think a lot of this comes down to how and why they do this. I think it's for the fans. And the most popular teams might get a little bit of a bump, most popular players. And I think part of it is done to get the people talking. Yeah. And like I We think... went through the list here, and you're telling me Ricard Raquel is not... I'd say he's better than Brandon Side. I think there's all... Oh, like what's also, yeah, Sorry. Like what's, also, what's also in play is, like, it wasn't one person who did this job. It was multiple people, you know, 
drafting, right? Like it, like if you look at how they've drafted, each draft pick was made by kind of like a different person from the NHL.com, right? So that screws up everything because everyone has their own preference. Like it would have made sense if it was just one person or a group of people who came together to decide the order, right? Because Brandon Saad at number eight, like that's, I want to say that's out of left field, I think, compared to who was still technically up on, who's still on the board, I guess, right? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It, it just seems to me that it's just so out there, right? Like how did Saad end up eight when, you know, he had a couple of good seasons in Chicago. You know, he does have a cup. But in I everything. think it's, he's popular, A, and B, it's very much, well, he won cups. Yeah. And does, does anything have to tie in the fact that the eighth pick was going to Philadelphia and that he's from Pennsylvania? Maybe. Albeit he's from Pittsburgh, but, you know. <laughs> Oof, can really never mind. That's what's really and I'm like, okay. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah. Think, like, speaking of, like, no defenseman, right? Like, we look at eight was Saad, nine was Zabinajad, ten Huberto. 11th was Nugent Hopkins, who went first overall. Do you put Nugent Hopkins down at 11? I don't think so, honestly. I think he's probably 8 or 9, probably to me instead, but it's not 11. I think he's carved out his his role as a secondary scorer, and I think the better question is, what are you expecting? Like, he's not going to be better than McDavid. So he's going to be in a secondary scoring role regardless. Yeah. As better. Like, what do you want? Like, I think he plays a serviceable first line if you need him to. Maybe not sort of like below average first line if you need him to. But, I mean, for what he does, I have absolutely no option, no problem with that. Yeah. And this is where we come to our first defenseman. In the original 2011 draft, by pick 12, we would, uh, well, including pick 12, there would have been five defensemen drafted. But in this NHL redraft, our first defenseman comes off the board in Dougie Hamilton, going 12th overall to the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> I have no problem with that. Like, I have no problem with him being the first defenseman drafted. I don't know if he's the 12th best player, honestly. Yeah, I think I, I... You, Dougie Hamilton is a little boring. But you kind of want a little boring from your defense, right? Well, I, I definitely don't think he sh- like he's. I think he's the best defenseman of the draft, but he's also definitely not twelfth, the twelfth best player, right? And uh, it's coming I mean, back it's to easier that. for the fans to just be like, here, here, like here's all your forwards, stop, go away. Yeah, basically, right? The forwards get all the the love, and the defensemen get nothing. But we can we'll move on to the next couple of you know picks. We got thirteen is JT Miller, fourteenth is William Carlson, and fifteenth. JT Miller is thirteenth. Do you know how we talk about recency bias? <laughs> yeah. Okay. How Jordan Bennington is above John Gibson? Because yeah, I am looking at twenty eleven draft right now, just like the original draft, and you're yeah. telling me that. Joan, Jonas Brodin and Ricard Raquel are below him. Yeah. Uh, 
J.T. Miller is 13th, while Jonas Burdine is 25th. What? And Ricardo Raquel is 18th. What tarnation. Um, pick number 16 is interesting. If you look at the actual posting. 16th is Philippe Deneau, who I think oh, yeah. a great player. I yeah. love him. But 16th. And then you look at who made the pick. Unfortunately, it is a managing editor from LNH.com. <sighs> no bias. I think, no think Joel Armio is probably a bit better. Okay, no. Dodo is a better player, but 16th ahead of number 17th, Vincent Chocha. And 18, Ricardo Kell, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a hard one. I don't know. This is really hard to justify. Right. Really? Anyone better hard to justify? 19th, Ryan Strom. 20th, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Is Ryan Strom still in the NHL? Yes. He, he's part. Of, I find he's part of that crew of Ryans that we don't know if they're still in the NHL or not. With the Ryan Spooner. Yes. I know. He's on the Rangers. I'm kidding. Yeah, he's on the Rangers. Like, he's had a great year. 59 points. I know. But again, recency. Recency bias. bias. <laughs> he was a bust. And now, like, I know Jean-Gabriel Peugeot is not the flashiest guy. But you, you, I think he's better than Strom for sure. Yeah, honestly, it comes down to recency bias. I, I, I don't know there's any of those do. You know who I think would be an, an interesting case study for this one, though? Who? Dimitri Yaskin. Drafted 41st overall, so St. Louis Blues. And yeah. as an NHL player, not the greatest, right? I uh, believe he played last season in the NHL. And... He had, oh no, he played last play 2018-2019. He had 8 points in 37 games, 17 points in 76 games for the year before the Blues. And you might think, well, why are we bringing this up? This year, he has 63 points in 58 games in the KHL. Um, I know it's hard to be like, you know, it's, it's the KHL's two different leagues. And I think the, the connection between the skill level and the NHL KHL has significantly dropped the last couple of years, but he's second in the league in scoring. I, I think he—I don't—he's definitely not our first rounder in mind. But like, I wonder if they were doing a redraft where he would slot in. Um, yeah, I don't think he's a first line guy per se, but I—I I think Yaskin is a guy who does come back to the NHL. I, I find it was curious that no team took a chance on him. But I, like, I think he's a good third-line scorer type. I think in St. Louis, as a fourth-line guy, um, that was kind of his role based on how deep they were at Ford. And then that one year in Washington where he was just kind of floating around a little bit, that he yeah. didn't really have any steadiness, right? But I think like on a on a more – like not a, a team that's not as deep at Ford, I think Yaskin has the potential to be – you know, a better player. And, you know, maybe in five years when they redo another redraft and Yaskin's back in the NHL, maybe he moves up because I look at some of the players that we still haven't talked about, right? Can we say maybe like number 27, Joel Armia is not number 27th anymore? Yeah, I don't think Joel Armia is 27th. He's probably much higher than that, yeah? Yeah. Uh, well, you're saying Joel Armia should be higher up than 
27th? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. I uh, mean, like 24. Okay, so so 21 would have been Clef Bomb. 22 is Boone Jenner. 23, Andrew Shaw. 24, Blake Coleman. Not, I, mean, I guess maybe you're right. You're maybe right. It's probably, a bit, probably just goes down a bit lower. Yeah. Like, and well, not that much lower, but like he might not be in the first round. He might be like first, late, late first round, early second round, because you look at the last couple of guys, right? 26 is Josh Manson. 28th is Joel Edmondson. 29th is a uh, former fourth overall pick, Adam Larson. And then Holy what? is Ryan. Adam Larson? Is where? He's 29th in this redraft. No. It's a little... It's a little low, don't you think, there? I think just because... I think he gets unfair amount of pressure upon him because who he was drafted for. And he's probably not a number one D like what they thought they were getting from him. But he's like a three, right? Like a man's probably a four. Yeah, I think... Well, he's probably closer to a four. But I do agree with you in the sense that he is... His per- the perception his perception is definitely lower. Like he's definitely not twenty ninth. Yeah, like if you look at, I know it's a very forward dominated thing because it brings in the numbers a bit better. But I would take Adam Larson over Joel Armia. Same, same. I agree with you. All right. So like, if I think it's very hard. I think they really did put a bias on forwards. And I look at the defense. Like, seems like you're getting better. Like you telling me, you would rather have a Boone Jenner than Adam Larson? Come on. Uh, I, I I am a fan of Boone Jenner, so I might have to disagree with you on that. But I do think, well, I think in general this draft was weaker defensively compared to the four. But at the same time, like I think a Boone Jenner is about like a bad second line center, good third line center. Oh yeah. And you're telling me Adam Larson. I know it's hard to compare apple oranges, but I would rather have a bad three, good four than a bad two, good three center. Yeah, I, I think it's dependent on the team that you have, right? Like with the redraft, they kind of looked at the team that was making that draft at that time a little bit. Yeah. So I, I can't agree. I think it's it's dependent on the team. Like do you need that middle depth forward or do you need that middle depth defenseman? But I do agree like – between 22nd Boone Jenner and 29th Adam Larson, that's too wide of a gap for me. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think in general, this redraft has a definitely what it's done what it's intended to do create talking points. And I don't think that there's definitely some problems at the top, some problems at the bottom. And you feel bad for the defensemen who, you know, yes, they weren't that great in this draft, but they could definitely be rated a little bit higher than, you know, what NHL has done for them. Okay. All right. So that's pretty much the end of our episode. Wow. This um, is really much a gibber gabber of, I don't know what gibber gabber is, big mumbo jumbo of just episodes there, eh? Well, topics, you mean, right? Not episodes. Topics, sorry, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's. It's a little bit. Well, I mean, we we kind of switch around, right? Every like the last four episodes when we did the buyout, we kind of had like a single topic, maybe talked about a little bit of news. But I think 
given that we there's really not a lot to focus on, right? It's just kind of nice to, you know, go around the NHL, talk about little things here and there. And, you know, it, it's just it's a bag of pucks. Like, we talk about whatever, and somehow things lead one thing to the other, and then eventually we end up to the end of the episode, and we're like, wow, it's been an hour and a half over time. Mm-hmm. Or I guess today it's just an hour, but, you know, it, it, it takes time. Yeah. But um, and um, with that being but, said, Jeffrey. Yep. Any any last things you lo- want to tell our audience about? You've got their full attention. Um, I would like to say that the weather is getting nicer. But please be smart about how you enjoy the weather. Um. Uh, I don't know. I think so I've got a few suggestions for you. Can you tell me if I can do this or not. Oh. Are we playing, is Alston allowed to go outside or not? Well, we're not going to put my name to it. I don't want to embarrass myself with Am I allowed to go out for a walk? Um, Depends where you go for your walk. Okay. Am I allowed to open the window and enjoy the fresh air inside the comforts of my home? Yes. Am I allowed to, if I have a lawn, go mow my lawn alone? Yes, I have to do that next week. Am I allowed to walk around and cough on kids and adults and seniors? Mm, I don't think so. That's not a good idea. <laughs> Blasphemy. This is unacceptable. Okay, and when we're talking about walks. I think in Spain, this is what they do, right? Um, when they, I they think like... I'm going to cut you. Okay, no, go for it. I'm, I'll tell you my perception, my opinion after. Like, go for yours first. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So in Spain, um, I think they gave kids like an hour of exercise, but they have to stay within like a kilometer of their house. I think that's what we should be doing, right? Like, do not go driving to a park that's an hour away to go for a walk there, just because it's a nicer place to walk. The whole point of social distancing is, you know, to stay within your own bubble. So by going all the way out to a place that's not within your social bubble, that kind of takes away from the social distancing, even though you might be staying two meters apart and stuff, but you still run that risk. So I think that if Austin, you wanted to go for a walk and make sure that you're not spitting and coughing on kids, adults, seniors, pets, or anything like that, I think it's important that you try to stay within your neighborhood, stay within walking distance of your own house so that you're not really going out of your social bubble there, your physical bubble. So that was my spiel, Olsen. My non-medical, non-professional advice is you should listen to your local health authorities and follow them. Well, what if they're not called health authorities? Talk to your local doctor and see on the phone and see what they recommend. That too. I I think if you have questions about whether you should do something or not, generally it's a no. I think. No, because generally go talk to talk to someone more responsible than me and Jeffrey. (laughs) Yeah, well, the thing is, people have always been trying to find loopholes to get around like the rules and stuff, right? So, I think also in general, like if you're trying to find like a way to get around to do something. Generally, the answer is no. So, you know, why take the risk when you, like, yeah, just why, why would you take the risk when you're trying to do something like that? All right. Uh, anything else you would like to tell our, our listeners about? Um, no, I think we're good. You know, 
it's the beginning of May. Let's enjoy May. Let's enjoy June, but let's do it safely. All right. And uh, what else? Love y'all. Y'all are great. Call your family. Call your friends. Start mowing your lawns. I live in an apartment. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Lucky. I got to start preparing the gardens and preparing the lawns so that well, the thing is now that everyone's at home, right? Everyone's so much time to make their lawns beautiful. So if you have the one all ugly lawn on your street, you know, people look down on you. So, you know, you got to step up your mowing game or gardening or whatever game. All right. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Bank Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.